everyone, and thank you very much for listening to 1066 Wasn't All That. This is an independent podcast exploring questions of evidence, interpretation and ongoing research in history and related fields. I'm your host, Victoria Stiles, and if you've looked up the previous episodes, you might have noticed that it's been several years since I released anything. Quite a lot's been happening in the meantime. I got my PhD, I got a full-time job, not as a historian, And most importantly for you, the listeners, I got a new microphone. I am, however, fully aware that the audio is not as good as it could be, and this is something I'm going to work on for future episodes. I hope you're going to bear with me. To kick off series two of this podcast, I recorded a swapcast or dual interview episode with the host of another podcast. This is Ask an Archaeologist. If you want to listen to the full episode, then go to askanarchaeologist.podbean.com. What you're listening to now is a shorter edited version, which is just me interviewing the host about his life as an archaeologist and comedian. If you want to find out more about my plans for future episodes, as well as all of the previous episodes from what I'm now calling Series 1 you need to go to the blog for this podcast, which is at 1066podcast.blogspot.com. In the meantime, I will hand you over to my very special guest. Hello, I'm Paul Duncan McGarity. I am the host and editor, which explains a lot of the sound issues of the Ask an Archaeologist podcast. I am also a uh, professional archaeologist with uh, just over 10 years experience in commercial archaeology. And finally, and least importantly, I am a stand-up comedian who performs comedy shows about and including archaeology and history-based comedy. Fantastic. I wouldn't say that's the least important part of what <laughs> you do. On the other hand, it is how I met you. So really what, what I try to get at with the podcast is um, issues of evidence, um, how difficult it might be to present the kind of evidence that people work with to a wider audience and therefore the sort of misconceptions that people might have about the kind of evidence that is worked with in your field. Yeah. So what I'd like to do to kick off with is ask you, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions that people have about archaeology in general and your area of archaeology in particular? Well, a couple of different things. Um, number one, one of the strangest things that keeps coming up is people think either archaeologists are all volunteers or we're all incredibly well paid. Wow. I know. So you'll either have people going up to you and saying, so what do you do for a real job? And you're like, uh, this and then like, no 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 when you're not doing this what do you do for money <laughs> this uh, we do this or they're like oh so like you you do you're doing all that digging and like the treasure and stuff oh you you must it must be a great job yeah you must be on holiday all around the world it's like no no it's the lowest paid graduate job in the uk and they don't believe you <laughs> i'm having trouble believing you actually the actual lowest yeah, yeah, yeah. It, wow. it is the lowest paid graduate job. You have to have a, well, you don't have to. There's a lot of other ways people get into archaeology, but one of the, the most common requirements is uh, an archaeology degree. And um, this, is a, this is a long time ago, but there was a point during my career where the starting salary or the average starting salary for an archaeologist was £16,500. And you'd have to buy your own trowel, I assume. Oh, absolutely! But you'd you'd be happy to buy your own trowel, you know. It's a it's a sign of it's a it's a very strange data symbol is an archaeologist trowel. There, there genuinely is a thing where we uh, 
Well, it, it's awkward. It, it's not awkward. It's, it's it's embarrassing to tell this to people who don't work in archaeology. But we compare the size of the blades sometimes. The smaller one being the better. You can't see my facial expression on this recording. <laughs> Good. Probably, probably best. Probably for the best, yeah. Aye, so that's that's the first thing, but uh, obviously there's everything else that comes with it. There's all of the uh, the sort of the general things of um, what archaeologists do. You know, oh, archaeology, one of those fellows who brush everything. No, like if they could see the number of times we swing things called a, a mattock, which is a cross between a pickaxe and a shovel. Um, it's about as uh, as far away from delicately brushing things away as you can possibly imagine. Um, we don't do dinosaurs. We don't find gold very often. I I've worked over ten years in commercial archaeology. I found one piece of gold ever. Um, we don't do tombs. Uh, we probably record and excavate more Victorian landfill than. I think people would be expecting. Yeah, there's all sorts of different things. It's one of those, oh, we don't do it all in three days. Uh, for anyone who grew up at a particular time when Time Team was on telly, that's a, that's a, that's a common one. Um, and in my particular area, I'm a specialist in historic standing buildings, which means that we apply archaeological processes to understanding uh, uh, historic structures. And the thing that people don't understand is that that's a part of archaeology. No one's ever heard of it. They all think it's digging holes. And I'll be honest with you, my knees gave out a long time ago and I decided I quite like my archaeology with a roof. It would help in bad weather as well, I'd assume, if it's a oh my... roof. Hey, oh, it's the best thing. I'll tell you this, there's um, uh, something that always appealed to me was I've, I've done about two or three uh, big cemetery jobs now where the, the the main site is quite a lot of re- removals of, of skeletons. And uh, they're great. They're great jobs to get when winter's coming because um, they have to be covered so that people can't overlook the human remains out of a, you know, a, a desire to make sure that there's a, a the correct level of sort of um, dignity afforded to the individuals. But also, you don't get rained on for like four months. It's great. Brilliant. So when you say applying sort of archaeological it would help if i could say the word wasn't it archaeological (laughs) research methods to buildings what sort of methods are you talking about so it's you're looking at building up a body of evidence right the one the rule of thumb that if anyone my listeners have heard me say a few times is archaeology when it's done well is like a police investigation you're building up as much evidence as you possibly can and then you're building a best fit narrative out of that Now, if we take historic building as the example of that, what we'll be looking at is we'll be looking at the changes in fabric, how different pieces of material interact with each other. So you can see if you have two walls, you can see how those two walls are are work with work with each other how, what the relationship between them is if they are built in with each other if you have them at a right angle and the two walls are built into each other you probably say that they were constructed at the same time that evidence suggests that they are contemporary and it's all part of one phase of the construction if one of the walls is built up against the other one there has to have been a wall built first for another wall to have been built in um, against it with you so far yeah yeah, so that means one of the walls is older than the other wall. Mm-hmm. It's the same as stratigraphy in archaeology when you're excavating. Once at the bottom, usually, if something goes on top of it, the thing below it has to have been there first. So stratigraphic approaches is kind of like a key element of archaeology. Once you get the idea of something has to have come before something else, 
that's how you start to under, you're able to unravel an archaeological site and it's how you're able to unravel a building at the same time how all of these different phases interact with each other beyond that you're looking at uh, different things as well you're looking at uh, changes in architectural form changes in material um, you're looking at what kind of buildings there are for example if you're looking at a theater or a playhouse building there's a point before they were built in the UK, so there's, there's only a point you can go so far back with them in that certain style, you know? The same sort of thing with cinemas. If you're, looking, if you're recording a cinema, someone had to invent cinema. So that kind of helps you tell you a little bit about how far back you can go. <laughs> so uh, material culture, design, stratigraphy... All of those things go into building up a body of evidence. Um, after that, you can do things like dendrochronology if you want to go down a more scientific route, because the first ones are all sort of interpretive. And then after that, you can do things like uh, C14 carbon dating, dendrochronology, which is just counting tree rings. And if you've got, uh, for example, a Tudor building where you've got all of those timber structures, they're brilliant, because all of a sudden you're just like, mm, drill a hole. That, is, that, that was cut down then. Boom. You know, you know when that piece of wood's uh, not gone in, but you know when the tree that produced it was cut down. It starts to give you some evidence, and then once you say, so if you know when that one's cut down, and then you've got a wall built against it, you now know that you have a date for that, and that wall had to have come after that date. And you build up, and you build up, and you build up, and then eventually you're able to piece together the narrative of a building, the narrative of archaeology. Oh, you've got me with the same problem now. <laughs> The archaeological site. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's contagious. No. So by the end of this podcast, it'll just be the pair of us going... I did discover through a crossword yesterday that archaeological is an anagram of alcoholic rage. (laughs) I can tell you that that is how most archaeological discussions end up finishing. Yeah, I thought that was appropriate. (laughs) troublingly appropriate Mm -hmm. so do you have a a favorite sort of building to answer in that way pubs uh (laughs) from an academic point of view from an academic point of view pubs are actually quite interesting genuinely there are two things in the united kingdom that survive a lot of the developments um or, or are sort of keystones to um particularly from nucleated villages onwards and those are churches and pubs uh they tend to be the things that are the oldest parts of any sort of night development and they've got a lot of the history in them also they're connected quite heavily to a lot of social changes so the way that transport is linked up you've got the coaching inns and things like that and you understand how migration works and you've got the victorians who built huge pubs that thought they should be part of the social uh, fabric of a, a community so they they've got all of these kind of like side rooms and things where other um, activities would take place you can find historical evidence of pubs being used for uh, performances you know you, you've got the beginnings of theatres and and now now the reason the UK has such a good comedy scene is because we've got so many pubs with spare rooms that they need filling um, you've got uh, examples of pubs being used as temporary mortuaries as the location of uh, judicial uh, sort of hearings they're a, they're a kind of weird multi-purpose center um, and they're um, they're an area where people can congregate that isn't the church you know it's it's a public space it's a public house 
And because of that, you know, you it's it's one of those elements of a community which um, allows a little bit of crossover between different various groups and different people from different backgrounds and different trades and all that sort of stuff. It, it, it brings them together and it's, it's an odd driving force in community. Yeah, I'd never thought of it like that in a in a sort of historical sense before. Um, and I definitely haven't realised that they were ever used as temporary mortuaries. That was a very specific example I'm thinking ah. of. There, there was a well, no, no, they did, they, they, they did take bodies there. Um, like if they, it was sort of like, um, there was a chap. It was I was working on um, in Kings Cross. Um, there was a building there called the Granary Building, which is now the uh, London School of Arts new structure. And I came across a, a newspaper cutting, and basically they they dropped one of the iron struts, and it had gone through all of the uh, the scaffolding that was there, and killed a young lad of nineteen. And they took his body to the local pub, and they held the inquest there, and they held the wake for him there. And it was just the pub, that one pub was where they laid out the body, where they found out why the accident had happened, and where they all drank to his memory. It's very efficient. You've got to give them that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they cracked on and finished the building with only six or seven more deaths. Oh, dear. <laughs> Victorians, health and safety be damned. Which I guess has brought us on to the issue of skeletons and how they loom large in the popular understanding of archaeology. Yeah, it's um, one of the things people think you do. You know, Have you ever seen a skeleton? Have you ever seen a body? That's something that people ask quite regularly. Yeah, I think um, sometimes when I've heard about archaeological excavations, it's felt like people went looking for a body, and if they don't find a body there, then the whole thing has been a bit of a waste of time. Um, I guess I'm thinking in particular of like the the Richard the Third excavation. Yeah, which was definitely no, the Richard the Third one is an, is sort of an aberration within archaeology because you don't look for a named individual. That's not something that is that's that's an incredibly rare thing. Um, when you say people go looking for a body and if it's not there, they feel like they they lost that. Are you talking about the members of the public going and that's their understanding of what archaeology is in their head? Yes. Or are you saying that archaeologists are going looking for bodies? No, I'm I'm aware that archaeologists aren't just going around hoping to dig up gold. I was going to say because that's time. grave. That is grave robbers. <laughs> that is. Which is an accusation I would not want to throw around lightly. <laughs> but um, the the members of the public, you mean? Yeah. Well, that's not true. How many people have gone to Bath, uh, you know, and, and seen the Roman baths and gone? Do you know what this needed? More dead Romans. <laughs> Very good point. Aye, if someone could just be floating around face down in the water, that'd be cracking. That's really what I've come for. No, it, it, people don't come looking for skeletons. They think it's a part of archaeology, but you know the the place, the 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 objects, all of them can be used to tell whatever story you want, and it's not necessary. The the thing about archaeology is it's about the people. All of the other things, the 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 sites, the objects, and all that kind of stuff. Is a is specifically designed. It, it, it is there in service of telling the story of the people mm-hmm. who used it, who lived there. And when it so when it comes to skeletons, that's why they get a little bit more attention. Number one, very easy to sell to the press because it's kind of like uh, this isn't the word you shouldn't use. You should use, but it's sexy, you know. 
for a newspaper reporter, they're like, oh, skeletons, bodies, why are they there? What could have happened? Uh, usually, old age. Um, <laughs> yeah, or disease or something. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. Was it the plague? No. What was it? Uh, they got a cut, they got infected, and they didn't have antibiotics. Sorry, boring. Um, but oh, generally, yeah. if, it, if it's not a plague pit, it's definitely yeah. a lot less interesting i think yeah it's that but that's from that's the from the point of view of the press that's not yeah. from the point of view of an archaeologist an archaeologist is interested in any sort of thing because it all goes to tell the story of that individual that population and then occasionally you get things like the richard the third where it's a really interesting story for the press it's got a lot of people with a vested interest in it uh but it's not indicative of what archaeologists do it's it's interesting but it's an outlier and also i don't know i'm a little i'm a little bit less interested in richard the third and his skeleton than i am of seeing maybe like a um an investigation into a a, 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 an assemblage of skeletons that represents a a large population group because with richard the third you can say oh he had a bit of a wonky back but if you've got a large assemblage you can go ah 12 percent of the population had wonky backs what is causing that is there a genetic reason for it or is there an environmental thing is this something that's coming from a particular kind of work is their their upbringing affecting them are they is it their diet so all of a sudden you go from one skeleton to a number of skeletons and you're like we can answer far more interesting questions about a wider group of people. We can tell a story of a community, not just one bloke who has made a terrible deal for a horse. I think that might have been an invention of Shakespeare. Ah, well... <laughs> <That's a fair laughs> I would love... Well, what, did they not see a receipt in his grave? <laughs> Horse price, one kingdom. <laughs> now, that would have been a wonderful bit of evidence to find. Oh, yeah, it would have been cracking, but we've only told you about one person. No, it would have also told you a little bit about their economy and the scales of uh, how much your horse was worth. In the heat of battle when you're about to lose everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Economic forces, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I always felt with the Richard III's excitement um it was all a bit of it felt like a bit of an indiana jones situation like we have found this very important thing mm. with a big story behind it and yeah i could tell you why it's not an adventurous yeah i could tell you why it's not an indiana jones situation uh because he didn't destroy it or bury it again in the process except they did bury it again never mind <laughs> But the archaeologists did have some effect on the plot. Yeah. It does not always happen with Indiana Jones. No, and that's why it's another sort of thing of of not necessarily being representative of archaeology because, again, go back to the discussion of it being like a police investigation. If it's good, a good police investigation, you're not walking in going, I reckon the murderer is this guy, and I'm going to find the evidence to... I mean, that's 1970s police work, right? That is probably the wrong way around. What you want to be doing is you want to be going in and going, what's the evidence? What's the best solution? So, I don't know. If 
more regularly if there's someone who'd gone in and been digging and found a skeleton, a bunch of skeletons, because there was a load of them there, and then they'd come back and done genetic research, which they did do, and that had come back and said, weirdly, this is probably Richard III. It would have been more normal, whereas there was a potential that it was a more targeted dig, and in those instances, like the evidence that they have for it is very good, and they've done... In, you know they've done an incredible amount of work on it but for my for me i would have preferred it if it had been to the way around if they'd been doing a dig anyway and then gone well look at this that's a surprise yeah. the evidence is pointing us in this direction yeah but again it's an aberration it's a, it's an odd way of doing it the more regular thing is build up the evidence explain the evidence yeah okay i think that is Everything I wanted to ask you. <clears throat> we might as well do the pluggables. From my point of view, for any of your listeners who like what they heard and they want to hear more people talking about the heritage industry, how they can get into it and all the jobs that they can find when it's there, um, you can go to at Ask an Arc. Um, you can look for Ask an Archaeologist podcast and you can send me questions for me to answer on uh, askanarch at gmail.com as well. Magnificent. Um, I think we have to thank each other for being guests for one of these. So, Dr. Victoria Stiles, thank you very much for joining me on Ask an Archaeologist. You're quite welcome. And Paul McGarrity, thank you very much for joining me on 1066 Wasn't All That. Fantastic. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>